Mac Power Users, episode 608. Devin Think and new Apple hardware. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, I'm excited to talk about DevonThink. We have new iPhones and a new iPad to talk about. It's going to be a, a big week here on MPU. Yeah, man. I think we've got a, a full outline, as they say. And I went to Florida, too, since we've been last on the microphone. In fact, I just yeah. got in last night. Still a little bit on East Coast time. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. I think we're gonna talk about that and uh, more power user users today. You went and, and spoke at a conference, and of course, you visited the other Disney. So there'll be lots of things to talk about. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I wish Casey Liss were here so I could lay into him a little bit. But you know, <laughs> what am I gonna do? We can send it to him uh, directly. You know. There we go. There we go. And um, Saint Jude, man. Yeah, yeah. So we have wrapped up our uh, campaign for St. Jude. Thank you all uh, who have donated. Uh, as we're recording this, I don't know the final tally quite yet. It'll be known by the time this goes up, but you know, very close to $600,000, I think. And so that is just incredible. Thank you all again. It has been a real joy this year to to raise money for St. Jude. And we are excited about doing it next fall. So we will be back this is an annual thing at Relay, so we're, uh, we're just so happy and proud of how it went this year and hoping that next year is even bigger and better. I mean, I just remember, it seems like just yesterday I was uh, reading your blog and you said for the month of September, you're going to donate all your blog sponsorship income to yeah. St. Jude. And that was it. I mean, that was just, that was the the humble beginnings of this. And it wasn't that long ago, and now you're raising six hundred thousand dollars. I, uh, man, I'm I'm just so uh, I am so overjoyed to be a little part of that, and I'm sure you are too. Yeah, it's it's really humbling and and it's totally awesome to see the community rally around this. So once again, a final thank you. Yeah, and in more power today, we're going to talk about um, my trip to Florida and a few uh, tech things related to that. Uh, also, at the end of the show today, not the more power users, but the regular show, we we both got some new hardware. We want to talk about it. I have a little surprise for you I want to share, but I'm not going to tell you just yet. Oh, boy. And, oh, no. um, you say and that, other, and I get nervous. Yeah, it's okay, man. It's okay, really. I, my new microphone is a tin can, and I'm having a string laid to you as we speak. Perfect. Somebody's just driving across the country with a long spool of string heading wow. down the tin right now. Anyway, uh, also, uh, I've said this a couple times, so I feel like I'm uh, I'm teasing you guys too much. But I, I realize we moved the Devon Think show back because iOS 15 release. So um, the disc early bird discount was supposed to end um, before the show publishes, but because we didn't get to the show until this week, I'm extending the early bird discount of the Devon Think field guide. The show releases on Sunday. Tuesday is the last day. It's not very many days, but you know, I've talked about it a couple times, so everybody knows. Um, but Tuesday is the last day. So two days after the show publishes, price is going up. Yeah. And and we're gonna get into Devin Think today, but before we do, I just want to say congratulations on this field guide. Thanks. Uh, I went through a whole lot of it in preparation for this episode. And even as someone who has used Devin Think a lot, 
there was a lot that I learned, and I love how you broke it down and it was organized. I mean, seriously, congratulations. This thing is killer. I really try to have my cake and eat it too when I make these feel because I try to make them accessible to beginners, but also have power user tools in there. Just it's a really I follow the same model like a perfect MPU episode would be where there's an on ramp that you can get on no matter where you, you're at in the technology. And by the end we get into deep stuff. And if you want to keep going to the end, you can or not, you know. Um so I try to do the same thing with the field guides. And um the funny thing that happened with this one was first of all, I didn't expect it to get to eight and a half hours. Honestly, I, I don't have like a target. I don't like try to stretch them out to make them longer. I just record whatever I think is needed to, to get to the destination. And then that's what we end up with at the end. And I definitely have some future ones coming out that are not going to be eight and a half hours, but I had a, a customer write me yesterday in the morning saying, Hey, I bought this, and now that I get into it, I realize it's too basic, so I'd like a refund. So I said, sure. Well, you know, there's a refund policy. Thanks for trying. And then, like, two hours later, he wrote me back and said, "Uh, never mind. I got deeper into it and realized there's a whole bunch of stuff here I didn't know. So, <laughs> so, so that's cool, you know, and, and that's kind of the perfect circumstance. I, I want it to be basic at the beginning and be advanced at the end. And it, and it came out great. Yeah, I, mean, I made a lot of production changes in the last year or so to try and improve the quality. But we'll talk about that later in the show. Yeah, well, it, it really is fantastic. So uh, as you listen to this, I, I highly recommend having the field guide open and, and following along because it is it is well worth it. Yeah. So where do we start? Let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the at the the basics of DevonThink. A little bit about what this app is and why it may be useful to people. Yeah, I had a real slow courtship with DevonThink um, years ago. Gabe Weatherhead came on MPU to talk about how great it is, and I agreed that it was a very powerful app. But every time I would try it, I could it just would not land with me. And I really feel like the tipping point for me was when they released version three, because version three is such an improvement just in general, like look and feel of that application. Totally. It it is an application that I think is very, or, or can be very daunting when you first open it. And I think one of the things in version three was to try to, to make that more, uh, more easily approachable, if that makes sense. And yeah. and it really modernized it in a way where, you know, Devin think before version three looked and acted pretty old and three yeah. really modernized it in a way and made it more, more familiar to those of us using the Mac in the current era. Yeah. You know, it is really interesting because there has been a transition of eras on the Macintosh. And there was some great software that did not survive. Um, like I was talking at that the seminar I went to this week, and somebody there was telling me how much she loved Circus Pony's Notebook. You remember that app? I mean, oh yeah, it was a great app, and it was kind of like a do-it-all notebook app. It was kind of like a version of Microsoft OneNote, but it was kind of more Mac friendly. And as the iPhone came to prominence, and more importantly, as the cloud became a storage device for your data, that app just kind of fizzled out. And I mean, it's no longer in development. You can't get it anymore. And in contrast, at the same time, DevonThink was just as big of a deal. 
And another one that comes to mind is Daylight, which I think they, they have sponsored Mac Power Users a few years ago, I think. So, I mean, they were former sponsor, full disclosure, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, Daylight was another one where they were a big deal. And then when this whole cloud thing came, um, both Devon Think and Daylight had to really hustle, you know, to yeah. modernize the application, but, but not only the way it looks, but to adopt a data model where users could use the cloud as their cloud storage. And they succeeded. And uh, I think Devon Think um, is, is, you know, a poster child for this. It's an app that was relevant a long time ago, and it's still very relevant. In this version three update with the new look and feel and the automation tools that they added, I mean, they really were like aiming for my wheelhouse the last year or two. So uh, I think the way that a lot of people consider Devon Think is a sort of uh, the everything bucket idea, right? Where I can just throw a lot of data in it and organize it and find it later. And while that's definitely true, there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, agreed. And, uh, yeah, I just wonder kind of, yeah, what do you think about that? Like, I mean... I and and going through the field guide, I realized there's a lot of stuff in here I'm not using, and some things I'm going to add. I think to my sort of way that I organize and, and use Devon Think. But uh, what are some oh, things? I want to hear about that later. <laughs> you have to tell me because I'm curious. You know where people find something new in the field guide. But as I, you know, I've been working with the app now since version three came out, and I actually use it in my day to day work. So I, you know, it, it is a constant presence, and it seems to me that there's really three primary uses for DevonThink. It's almost like the RGB of DevonThink. You know how RGB are the three primary colors, and then you mix them in different flavors to get different colors. Well, uh, DevonThink is the same thing. There's three things you generally do with it, but everybody uses different uh, different elements of these with different weights. Uh, the first one is, like you said, file management. You know, you can throw any kind of file in the application. You can grab web pages. You can grab, it, I mean, it's ridiculously easy to get emails out of Apple Mail. Basically, any kind of data on your Mac or iPad or iPhone, you can throw into DevonThink. So it's an archival tool, kind of file management organizational tool. And there's a whole bunch of more things you can do once you get those files in there, which we can talk about. But the big first big category, I think, would we'll call file management. The second one is the AI engine and artificial intelligence. Devon Think has got some spooky AI in it that is really smart. And by that, I mean it does a good job of searching through your data and finding related data using artificial intelligence. And uh, when I, I really didn't have a lot of faith in this when I first started using Devon Think. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like, so what you're telling me is it can search, right? You know what I mean, right? Because that's, in my head, what AI is at this point, just it's search. Okay, well, it'll yeah. go search a thing for me. But one of my databases is all my legal research. And I do, I do, I don't do as much now, but I used to do a lot of trade secret law in California here. So I've got this massive um, file of cases and uh, law review articles and resources on California trade secret law. And then I um I was doing a thing for a client that involved trade secret law, and I searched a very specific problem through the database that I had dumped into DevonThink. And the interesting thing is I found two cases that 
were exactly what I needed, but they didn't contain the words that I searched. I don't know. That was impressive to me, you know? Oh, yeah. That's really where I want to lean into Devin Think More because I have all of these sources. And if you've gone through the field guide, you have some of them now. Um, yes. Oh, well, can I just say that for a second? I want to, I said this last week, but I want to thank you, Stephen, because I was really generous of you. Yeah, man. And I, when I was making this, I said, there, this is a field guide that the user has to have a bunch of data to work with to learn it. And I thought, well, what do I know? And that, you know, do you want me to give you a database of trade secret law? I don't think so. <laughs> but I got thinking, well, Steven has this great database and he, he cut off two gigabytes of it for us. And, um, yeah, a, Thank you. a very small yeah. fraction of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I've heard from uh, customers already that are just really digging going through it, you know, reading oh, old good. press releases and stuff. Yeah. Good, yeah. I'm, I'm glad. I, I kind of thought that people may enjoy that. That's why I picked that stuff in particular. Uh, but yeah, the AI stuff is really, as we get to it, is what I want to hear uh, hear more about because it's not something that I've explored very much, and that's really where I want to, to lean in some more, um, you know, seeing where that is at work and how is it at work, I think is interesting. And it, it's what makes Devin think better than just having all this stuff in the finder, right? Like, yeah, I think people would look at it and say, well, why not just have a bunch of folders and you totally can, but it's the magic that Devin think puts on top of it. That makes it worthwhile beyond just what finder can do. Yeah, well, that's one of the things I, I would argue that AI is one. Another advantage over the finder is that you can end to end encrypt your data through it. Another advantage is that you can link anything, which we'll probably talk about later. And um, the the automation tools in the Finder, uh, you know, the Finder really has, I mean, it has smart folders, but DevonThink goes like to an entirely new level with automation tools. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's quite a bit, there's quite a few good reasons to do it. Um, but yeah, uh, the AI is definitely one of them. But that, I think that's the second big tentpole is AI, you know. So you've got a, a tool that's a file manager and it's an AI tool. And then... It's also a very powerful notes app and you can write notes in it. You can do markdown, rich text, you can convert to PDF. You can, it's got like all of the cool tools in it for, um, for dealing with words and notes. And there's a whole section in that in the field guide too, of course. And so every person that kind of gets into dev and think chooses what level they're going to engage with those three elements you know like for me i'm a huge user of it as a file manager i am a middling user of it as an ai tool and i am a low level user of it as a notes tool because i put my notes somewhere else but you know um Kurosh Dini, who's been a guest on our show, he's also got a great product in Dev and Think where he talks about how he does his whole Kanban or um, his whole um, Zytelcast in research method through Dev and Think Notes. We'll put a link to to um, Kurosh's book in the show notes. But I mean, he he is like a level 10 for notes where I'm, I'm like level two or three. So yeah. it, it just depends what you want to do with this stuff. And I don't think getting dev and think means you need to crank it up to 10 on each one of those, those 10 poles. You know, you don't need to be using it max at every level to get your monies out of it. But I do think that if you understand this tool is really good at these three things, now I'm just going to decide how far down the rabbit hole I'm going to go down with each one of these things. Then you can kind of get your own color of dev and think. Yeah, my my use lines up with yours. It's 
I'm not doing notes in it. In fact, if I take notes for an event or something, I do it outside DevonThink and then just save it into DevonThink for for later. And so it is yeah. uh, it is fascinating to see how those different use cases can can change. Yeah. And then the other thing that really convinced me to go forward with making a field guide, um, other than the fact that a lot of people were asking for it, um, was the uh, the mobile apps. Uh, they have publicly stated their intention to really double down on their mobile apps, which I think is the other part of the modernization of the application. And Devin think for iPhone and iPad is the real deal now. And they've got great tools, almost, not 100%, but they've got almost everything that you need in the Mac app now in the mobile app and everything syncs over and it just gives you a lot of power. Mm -hmm. Like, like one example is um, I'll talk later about links and I think links are a great tool out of DevonThink. So you, in DevonThink, you can create a link to any file in your DevonThink and, and link back to it from anywhere else on your Mac. Um, Those links work on DevonThink and they on the Mac and they also work on the iPhone and iPad because it's as so long as those files are in, in, you know, you're syncing your Devon thing to your iPhone and iPad, you'll get to the same file. Whereas like even on the finder, if I use an app like hook to create a link on the Mac, I'm not going to be able to use that hook link over on iPhone and iPad. So, um, Devon think just gives you some real power. And Devon think for a long time, I mean, going back to the version three conversation for a second, it was not good on mobile for a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. That I mean, I I couldn't make a field guide about it two years ago because it was unusable, no. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. And they've they've come a long way with that. I still think that it is a a Mac first product. At least that's certainly the way that I use and think about it. But uh, you can sync all your stuff and have access to it all, and that does make it a lot more accessible to more people. Yeah, and I heard from uh, customers who are saying I'm only using it on mobile, wow. and they're getting by with it. It's fine, you know. So um, that is a segment, but I would agree. For me, uh, I primarily use it at my Mac, and then I have it on my iPhone and iPad for reference. Yeah, largely. Yeah, same. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by its original sponsor, Text Expander from Smile. Head over to textexpander.com/podcast and get twenty percent off. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. With Text Expander, you can say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. It's better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates. Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text Expander can be used on any platform and any app, anywhere you type. So take your time back with Text Expander and increase your productivity. Just recently, somebody asked me for a Dropbox sharing link that I hadn't saved to Text Expander. Well, I'm not going to do that again. I saved that link to Text Expander. So now, whenever I need to send it again, I just type in a brief snippet and that complicated link gets typed in automatically. But you can use it for a lot more than links. You can use it for your phone number or email address or entire lines of text or strings of text. I write legal contracts with text expander snippets for specific clauses. And because text expander is so automation friendly, you can add Apple script and other automation tools to make it even more powerful. I'm a huge fan of this app and I use it all the time. And the good news is you can get 20% off your first year. Just go to textexpander.com slash podcast 
to learn more about Text Expander and let them know you heard about it on the Mac Power Users. So one of the things about Devon Think that really sets it apart from from some other products is the way that it is extensible. That you can have uh, in in Devon Think's language, add-ons and extras, pieces of functionality that extend the application to do uh, to do more things. And uh, you know, I think the the one that probably most people will have sort of the most sort of experience with or sort of the best understanding of is is the OCR engine, which is huge for me, saving yeah. a bunch of PDFs that it uses the uh the uh Abbey Fine Reader, which is like a top-notch OCR engine. And it's fantastic. I can search in, across and inside thousands of PDFs, but there's some other really cool ones too that I haven't explored as, as much. Like the the mail plugin for instance. Yeah. The mail plug the Apple Mail plugin is um, an excellent tool if you're using Apple Mail and you want create reference copies of email. Like when I'm wearing my lawyer hat, often I want to have reference to an email that's in you know something I'm working on for a client, and we want to have like kind of a record of that email. Well, you just hit one hotkey in DevonThink, and it copies that email over to DevonThink, and it makes a nice looking clean copy of the email it creates a link back to the original message you know how apple mail can have those links so it creates that automatically so it has a reference link to go back but it also has the email text so you can search it in dev and think you can apply tags if you want on the dev and think side so it gets filed away like you know combining i'm getting ahead of myself but you know dev and think has these great um, tagging rules so I can have it apply tag based on who it comes from and then move it to a client project so I don't have to like fiddle with it on the filing end and um, and all you have to do I mean the whole start of this for me is um, it's a control option command D and uh, that's dev- my dev and think button in Apple Mail and off it goes uh, web extensions is another one they put a thing up in your menu bar that is like a uh, web extension kind of import on steroids tool where mm-hmm. you can start writing notes and deposit them in. You can grab links. You can, you know, you can get an extension out of Safari to put something in. So they just make it really easy to slurp the data in. And um, I think that's a real benefit. Yeah, no, abso- absolutely. I do a lot of saving from the web into my DevonThink library using that web extension right in the browser and it lets me file it right there. Very often it guesses or it knows where I want to put it and I can name it if I want to or add a description or edit that stuff and then just save it and go about my browsing. So it's really quick to get things in. And that extension is something back in the day, you know, people praised Evernote for, uh, they had the really a, a fantastic, uh, web extension for scraping stuff from the web, but Devin's think Devin thinks is is even better. Yeah, I do think Devin think if you if you're somebody who's like a legacy Evernote user and you're not sure what to do, you should really look at Devin think because I think it has just about all the tools Evernote does, but it's all within your control because it's on your Mac. It's not in their cloud, you know. Although Devin think can sync. And the thing that DevonThink gets so right that Evernote gets so wrong is exporting data. 
you know, dev and think, you know, you can literally just drag files out of dev and think and put them on your desktop or into your finder somewhere else. And that's the export. There's, mm -hmm. there's really not much more to it. And it's not like screwing it up or turning it into some, some goofy HTML page or something. Yeah. It, it is the file. Right. Know? Yeah. I think that's really good advice. And I think there are a lot of people who feel stuck in Evernote, uh, even today, even in, you know, late 2021, I think there are people who are there and sort of maybe a little bit frozen. And so I think that this is a fantastic way to go. Yeah. I mean, I hear from listeners that think they're stuck in Evernote. They're just not sure what to do because the export is so hard. And, yeah, you know, that it's just, just, I mean, that's just such a lesson. When you start putting your data into something, make sure that there is an exit plan. Yep. Because... Evernote for, you know, they've got good reasons for what they do to the data once you upload it, but it does not make it friendly to get out. Mm -mm. Something else that I think is is really cool in Dev and Think and something that I wish, honestly, that, that more developers did is there's a whole section in Dev and Think of tips and tricks, and they're updated. Like, it's like a new one every week or so, uh, yeah. every couple of weeks, uh, published by the people who make Devin think and it's just the, they live in the sidebar there's a little support section and so say that you had you know gotten into this and you wanted to get more into tagging well there are several tips and tricks articles about tagging you can go through and read them again right in the application you're not like you don't have to go subscribe to their blog or follow them on twitter and I just think that's really cool. I really like that Devon Technologies does this thing where they are communicating with customers in the app about how the app works and and adding to that content over time. Yeah, I got some emails from listeners saying that, you know, the problem with Devon thinks it's too expensive. And um, well, one thing I will say is, you know, I got to know the developers and it's a small team, but it's still a, a team. Of Devon Think, as you know, even before I decided to do the field guide, I was corresponding with them about questions. And as they released version three, they are a solid group of people and they are working their butts off to make Devon Think a good experience. I mean, if you just look at all the progress they've made in the mobile apps, that is like a full time gig, just getting that mobile app to where it is. But at the same time, they're continuously updating, adding new features, and um, making the Mac app better too. And I really do feel like they are really in it for their customers. They want this to be the best possible experience. Yeah, I mean, you think about the types of work that people can do with tools like this. I mean, you and I are running parts of our business out of it, which is huge. But tools like this are also uh, really important and popular in areas of research and yeah. know, people working on <laughs> on their PhDs and stuff. And so having that support uh, that's a big deal for a lot of people who are putting, you know, their life's work into an application like this. Yeah. I mean, in addition to being like a cranking up the AI side of it, there's a lot of academics. In fact, I, in this field guide for really the first time since I've switched to video, I did a power users section where I interviewed six power users and um, you were one of them. So there's a nice interview in there with you. Thanks, Stephen. And um People, but some of the people I interviewed are not, um, you know, podcasters, <laughs> right? Uh, but they're academics and people getting their PhDs and using Dev and Think to kind of manage all of that. And it was real interesting to see how they were using it. The funny thing about those interviews is there were six people interviewed plus me, 
And each one of us is using it in different ways. I mean, nobody was really had the same setup. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So Dev, I think, really starts with databases. And that's, I think a lot of people get hung up when they first open it up and they hear fancy words like database. They're like, what am I getting into here? But um, it's really kind of clever because a database is a contained set of data. So in Dev and Think, you don't have to mix everything. Let's say that, you know, you're studying international music, but you also are a lawyer, right? And you also make a nerdy Mac site. You don't have to combine all your data into one thing. And by having separate databases for all three of those interests, you can easily um, segregate them when you're doing the work in them. And, and it really makes it easy. And, and you can also apply different rules to each database. So like you could have one database encrypted and one database unencrypted and depending on what kind of data you're putting in it, but they, it gives you a lot of control over you know, how you put your data together based on the number of databases you create. And there's really no limit as far as I know. I think I have like nine or 10 of them uh, when I go through my drive here. Yeah. I'm at, I'm at almost a dozen. And uh, another aspect of it, and we will get to sync is that you don't have to sync all of them. So if you've got one that's sort of well, maybe on your desktop, but you don't want it on your notebook, you know, you have that flexibility yeah. The way I broke my databases down was sort of broad topical areas because all this all the stuff in my Dev and Think library is tech history. And so I have uh, you know, one for hardware, another database for software, a database that's just magazines, you know, so Macworld and Byte magazine, all these things that I've gathered over the years. And for me, it 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 just they became a logical way to sort of break down the type of data that I had. But it's also changed over time. When I started, I did not have a separate database for events. And uh, so they were kind of like mixed in everywhere else. And I realized a little ways in that I really need a database that is uh, one place for me to look at all my event notes that I've gathered over the years. And so I just created a new database and I moved some things into it that were in other places. And so your database structure is not set in stone. I mean, what you start with may end up being uh, not enough or, or too much. So don't don't be afraid of of making the wrong decisions early on because it is it is flexible in the long term. Yeah, and it's just and I have them broken up by areas of my life. You know, Max Barkey, legal, other interests. I even have one for personal records and, but the legal one, for instance, I actually have several in there. Like I have one for the admin side. I have a law firm, you know, it's a small law firm, but it's a law firm. And I, so I have all the admin stuff in one database. I got the client stuff in another and the research in another. I also have one for client stuff. Occasionally I get um, data from clients that is very confidential. And in those cases, I have actually a separate database for that, for confidential client data that is encrypted and not synced. So there's only one computer that's on and it's all encrypted. And so it just, you know, kind of just depends on the nature of what I'm dealing with. But Devin then kind of gives me that flexibility, which was a real attraction to me coming from the finder where there really aren't options like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the folders and subfolders can only get you so far, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about getting information into DevonThink because there are a couple of options here. And I really want to hear your take on this because I am uh, 
I'm team import. I want to copy stuff yeah. into the DevonThink database, but you can just have it index external folders. Yeah. So the, that's the first big distinction is like if you um, want to try DevonThink out and use the AI or whatever, but let's say you've got a bunch of fo- uh, files or folders in your Dropbox folder or on your root drive or in your iCloud drive, and you're like, I don't want to put that stuff in DevonThink. You can still have DevonThink do its magic by indexing those folders. And all you do is you attach an index to it. And then DevonThink looks at those as if it's in the database, but it doesn't keep them in the database. And some people just do this in general. Um, uh, I don't do that because I like the automation tools and stuff. And it generally works better if you actually import the Mm -hmm. files into the DevonThink database. And it's still just a folder of files on your drive. It's not like they they're getting renamed and disappearing. So you're still good. You know, um, I like, I would be in favor of indexing if Devin think was doing funny things with the files once you brought them in, but it's applying metadata and stuff, but the root file does not change. So in general, I import things. However, um, like I've got a shared Dropbox folder with a couple clients and expert witnesses and things, and they just want to have the shared Dropbox folder. So I'll index those into DevonThink. So they're still accessible through DevonThink, but they're indexed. So I do a little of both, but primarily I import the files. And there's a whole video on this in the course, but it's not hard, but it is kind of a concept you want to wrap your mind around as you get yeah. started. Yeah. And I really want to highlight something you said is that DevonThink is not doing funny things to your files. In fact, anything in your Devon Think library that you have imported, you can right-click and show in Finder, and it will open it up in the database folder, and it's just your web archive or your PDF or whatever it is just sitting there on the disk. And so for me, I've got no trouble importing because I know that at the, at the bottom of all this, I still have my mountain of files that if I ever need them somewhere else, uh, they're there, you know, they're not getting wrapped in weird HTML like Evernote did, or they're, they're not getting converted into some strange format that only this app or, you know, some third party exporter tool can, can read. Uh, it's just native. And I really, really like that. That That is one reason among many that, you know, Evernote has kind of uh, gotten a, a sour taste for a lot of people is because that, you know, your stuff's all wrapped in weird tags and, getting things out. It's really messy. And Devin think really has sort of an, an open door policy when it comes to bringing data in, but then also getting it out later. Yeah. And it's kind of nice because in addition to all that, you do have an added layer of metadata when you put it in Devin think. So for instance, I have a custom metadata field for an OmniFocus link and an obsidian link. So if I've got a file related to a certain project in Obsidian or or a project in OmniFocus, I can click that from DevonThink and jump straight to the applicable project in that app. Or you can take notes on it, like, and this goes way beyond like Finder notes. So, like when I do uh, versions of contracts, I will like make notes to myself in the DevonThink metadata that I only see. So when I send it off to the other lawyer, I can say, this is the version that I made to address this, this, and this issue, or, you know, this is the privileged version I sent to the client. But either way, whenever I go back and look at those files, I can see my my contemporaneous notes that make sure, so I make sure that I'm working with the right version. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's really clever. Now, when you drag that stuff out, if you export it, you're going to lose the metadata, like, 
if you like give up on Devon think because you know the finder doesn't have those fields right um but i mean while you're using Devon think it's there and it's it's really handy yeah so we've talked about uh some of the ways you can get this data in we mentioned the web extension the share extensions and the services menu you also just have drag and drop which is how i do it most of the time if i yeah. just yeah. have a bunch of pdfs i've downloaded uh, but a cool thing it can do is you can capture RSS feeds into DevonThink. Yeah. And this is a huge, huge use case for me. I have a database just called Feeds, and it's all of my podcasts. It is a couple of categories on 512 pixels and a couple other just sources I found. And I can have DevonThink check the RSS feed for me and pull in the data automatically so i don't have to like remember when i see it in my rss reader to send it to devon think devon think is just doing it for me yeah and this is kind of the example of the passionate development team where like i'm sure somebody wrote in and they have an active forum or said hey wouldn't it be cool if i could just get an rss feed straight into devon think and like somebody on the development team said, you know what, I'm going to spend a weekend and figure that out, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, <laughs> and it's now it's just a feature and you attach an RSS feed to it and you've captured it forever. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. They, they really like the import is crazy. Like bookmarks, contacts, I mean, email files, web pages, there's really nothing on your computer that I can think of that you can't throw at it. Like I, I've heard from a bunch of Obsidian users that like index their Obsidian database, all their mark, markdown files for Obsidian are indexed into DevonThink, so it's almost like a backup or a way to search their Obsidian data without Obsidian. Oh, that's clever. So it's like there's lots of ways you can skin this cat, you know, and um, and DevonThink makes it very easy to you know, to get that stuff. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. The only reason that my email is usable is thanks to SaneBox. It learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours. And it works across all kinds of emails, programs, and services. You're not locked to one special app, which I really appreciate. I've been using MimeStream, for instance, on the Mac. That's a public beta. It's not even out as like a regular application yet, but Sandbox doesn't care. It works great because that filtering happens before it uh, it hits whatever app I'm using. Uh, Sandbox has these really cool filters. So you have Sane Later. That uh, keeps your inbox nice and clean with only the messages that really matter to you. You have the same black hole. Just drop an image in, or drop an email in there. You're never going to hear from that person again. I use it all the time. You have snoozing and reminders. So you can defer emails and you can get reminders of, hey, David never emailed me back. What's up with that? Well, SaneBox can keep track of that for you so you don't have to go over to your task manager and add something. It's, it's all taken care of in your email. You can also move attachments to Dropbox or other cloud services to save space and a whole lot more. SaneBox has various pricing plans. They start as low as about $4 a month with a 14-day free trial. If you go to SaneBox.com MPU, you'll receive a $25 credit on any plan. Get this, 66% of MPU listeners who have tried SaneBox over the years subscribe. I love SaneBox. I think you're going to love it too. Go to SaneBox.com MPU to receive a $25 credit. SaneBox. Stop drowning in email.
My thanks to SaneBox for their support of the show. Once data is in, uh, what do we do with it now? Just leave it all in a pile? That seems like a bad idea. Yeah, just just <laughs> set it all up in one one big directory. <laughs> Don't do that. No tags. <laughs> no, okay. So each so you you first you can segregate your data by separate databases. We talked about that earlier in the show. But then you can also further separate it. And Devin think uh, folders are groups. That's you know that's the big takeaway, guys. You know it, they're folders, but they call them groups. The icon even kind of looks like folders. So there you go. Uh, but so you can make ad- separate folders or groups to further pull your data together. And but there's a bunch of other ways to do it too. You can make smart groups. We're going to talk about um, automation a little bit later. But you can. It's like smart folders on the Mac, you know, or in the Finder. And so you've got uh, smart folders or smart groups that can automatically grab data from different places. They've got a very thorough tagging system, which, by the way, works really well on mobile and on the Mac. So, you know, the thing I always complain about, about, you know, the files app doesn't give me the tagging tools I want. Devin think does. So, like, I can apply a tag to a, a file on the iPhone or the iPad, and Devin think automation will then do its, its, its work. Um, so tags are nice. One thing I would mention, I talk about this in the field guide, but they have a tag bar across the bottom of the main view window. And I find that extremely useful. Um, So whenever I'm working on a file, I can see the tags that are already applied to it. And I can add additional tags right there without having to go into the the inspector. Uh, They've also got the ability to mark it as a favorite. They've got the ability to flag it. They've got ability to uh, do colored labels. I mean, they basically went to you know every potential metadata source or way of indexing your files and they added it to this application and so whatever floats your boat it's there like i am a big fan of tagging i'm a a very reluctant fan of favorites i'll use them occasionally but i don't want to use them too much and i never use the the labels and some of the other stuff they have in there because i've already got everything i need with those existing indexes but if you want the labels go use the labels they've got them there for you yeah i'm not a tagger this has been well uh documented on mac power users yeah uh, so most of my organization is just the databases and the groups and, and the groups are something, too, that have definitely evolved over time for me as I need to break things down a little bit further or, or change things up. And uh, I feel like out of, out of all the systems I use, tagging would be the most useful in DevonThink, but it's just not how my mind works. I just can't I just can't get my hands around it. Yeah. Well, you can also like bring automation to bear because it has essentially a version of Hazel embedded in DevonThink. So you could say like search or any document that has the word Mac SE in it and create a Mac SE tag. Mm-hmm. So you could automatically create those tags. Yeah. And then there may be like, that may give you some angle in your research that you didn't have otherwise, but it's, it's powerful. And an organization does include search as well. I mean, not only can you put them together, but you can find them and there are a ton of search modifiers. And I, I've got a, I think a couple different videos about this in the course where you know, you can really kind of slice and dice if you understand how search works in Dev and think to, to get to what you need. You know, that sweet spot where you want to get like 10 results, mm-hmm. not like 700. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking through the, uh, the, the rules, if you set up a smart group 
or a, a smart rule set. It is just unreal how detailed you can get. And it's laid out. Um, it's laid out really well. You know, you think about when we talk about finder search and you get like file type and folder and that sort of thing. It is, it's similar to that in, in spirit, but because Devin think not only knows about everything about the file, but any metadata that you've added or that may be associated with the file, you can really drill down. I mean, so just looking through this, like I can have it look just at headlines of web archives that I may have saved or just subjects of emails. And so it, it lets me dive into things in a way that is, is pretty granular. And of course you can save those searches for later. So they're always running. So I've got one uh, named duplicates and it just, if I have two copies of this file, uh, let me know. And I got some in there. It's almost, I mean, we, we joked a second ago that you just leave it all in one place, but like you could, you shouldn't, but the search yeah. is so good. You could probably still get around. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and we we haven't even mentioned the idea of like proxy copies, but like DevonThink has a whole mechanism where you can create virtual copies of files in multiple folders. So if you want to have it you know, there, or you can have separate copies. So like, let's say you had a PDF and you want to have different annotations, you could have separate copies or proxy copies. I mean, they've kind of thought through all the edge cases. And I think that's because DevonThink has been around so long. And the user base is so passionate, you know, they've, they've just, they've got to a lot of the problems that I think the Finder team is probably not allowed to get to, you know, Finder is like, hey, make this basic, make it work for everybody. Don't get into the edge cases. And uh, I would argue that I think that Finder search with the tokenized search is actually quite powerful. And I've been able to find things with it pretty easily. Yeah. But, but Devin thinks search is better because they're kind of unleashed and they can mm-hmm. add a bunch of things to it that the finder team just isn't probably authorized to do. And that gives you more power. Yeah. Let's talk about sync uh, for sure. a minute because uh, most people who are going to use a tool like this want it available. If not on their iOS devices, then a secondary Mac or something like that. For me, it is two Macs, my iPhone and my iPad. And I want to have this data everywhere, even though I primarily use it on the Mac. I like to be able to search for something elsewhere. And the the sync and Devon thing, it's it's lives in the preferences. It has its own uh, preference pane, and it it is built around that idea of databases that we spoke about earlier. You have sync settings, and and basically the chunks that you can sync are at the database level. So you can't you can't necessarily sync individual groups within a database, but the whole database at once. Uh, I do this on Dropbox. Uh, what what do you use, and and what do you suggest people check out? Yeah, I use CloudKit, and honestly, this was like the last penny to drop for me to say, okay, it's a go on a Devon Thing field guide because I didn't want to recommend an app that had a bad sync, yeah. and I think. I think they did struggle with this at first because just the sheer volume of data and kind of like the the condition of the original versions of the the mobile app. Um, in fact, I would say I still don't think the mobile app is fast enough with text files and not mm-hmm. it's not nimble enough with text files. But but the sync they have got real solid and they've got a bunch of ways to do it. Like you said, you can do Dropbox. Uh, they have a legacy iCloud, um, but they also have cloud kit, which I found in my testing to be very fast and, and reliable. You can also do your own sync 
You know, you can do local sync via Bonjour. Uh, you can encrypt, encrypt it on device. So it go, whether it's going to Dropbox or iCloud or whatever, you're doing the encryption layer before it goes up, which effectively gives you end-to-end encryption, which is another thing you don't get, you know, with a lot of these other services. And like I said, it, it's pretty solid. I go through in the course and explain how to do this, the sync. And what I do recommend, if you've got a massive database, you have to give that first sync the time to complete, you know? Yeah. Don't add 10,000 documents and then start fiddling with them while they're doing the initial sync and then expect everything to just work. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got to give the computer a chance. Yes. Um, so I recommend like that first sync, do it at night and then go to bed and just let it work overnight. Yeah. Um, but once you get that initial sync done, I really just didn't have any issues. I did kind of troll the the boards and the, the internet and found um, some of the... Um, the sync problems. I did a separate video on how to solve and troubleshoot sync. If you have problems, uh, one of the nice things about Devon think, and, and I'm not trying to trash the Apple team here because I understand what Apple's doing, but Devon think actually gives you really good feedback about not only what's the status of the sync, it gives you a progress bar and you know, the number of files and it, it, you know, it really keeps you up to date as to what's happening with the sync, but it also tells you the files it hangs up on. I ran into a couple sync errors in my time using DevonThink, and every time it was a couple of zero byte fo- files. For whatever reason, I had a, like a file that just something went wrong with it, and I had didn't realize it, and it was like buried in my client database or in my Max Sparky research or whatever. And DevonThink would say, "Oh, this file, there's a problem with this file," and I'd go look up the file, and sure enough, there it was with nothing in it. It was a zero byte file. If I just deleted it, then the problem was solved. So it gave me the feedback to find the problem area and, and fix it. So, but but in general, I, I have found sync, you know, fairly stable and something that that's workable. Yeah, I, mean, I have thirty three thousand items in DevonThink. Uh, it is uh, that's across eleven databases, and all in all, it is a uh, hundred and three gigabytes of stuff. And the yeah. sync is is fantastic. I definitely echo what you said of set it up and let it sync. I would also say have computer one completely synced before you bring on computer yes. two or device number two. Like do it in stages. But now if I add something on my phone or on my other computer, I sit down at my Mac Pro, it is all it's all there, you know, and it has been uh it's been it's been good. I haven't had to do any of the troubleshooting stuff that, that you spoke about. I'm glad you did, but I have been totally fine without it. Yeah. And what I add to that, not only do it one computer at a time, I say do it one database at a time. Just yeah. you know, make it real simple. You know, because let's say you've got five databases. Don't try and do the initial sync of them all at once. Just do one at a time. After that, you can have it do all at once. It's fine. Once you've got that initial sync done. But, you know, it's just I, I think you should babysit that first one. But otherwise, like like Steven, I really don't have many problems with it. And and having it on my mobile devices is really helpful. Like one of the things I do is I, I'll put links to Dev and Think documents. And if I'm on my phone, I can those links will work because they're in Dev and Think. You know, if they were in the finder, I wouldn't be able to get to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I do, and I don't know what you do on this, Stevens. I actually don't have Devon Think download all the files on my iPad and iPhone. I just have yeah. it. Um, it just has basically a reference to them in the cloud, and then if I want it, I download it on demand at the time. Yep. You know, it's similar to what Photos does, basically, and yep. that way I don't fill up my device. 
I do the same thing. I, I don't need all that stuff on my devices. Uh, I'm I'm fine on the computer where I've got you know big SSDs, but for me the the reference is fine. And even if it's like a big PDF, I just tap into it and it downloads it on demand pretty quickly. You know, it's not like I'm I'm sitting around and waiting. And uh, Devin Think to Go, uh, the iOS version has this feature where you can tell it, hey, you know, keep the last X amount of local data and then start purging it so you don't have to worry about kind of accidentally filling up your device. I think that's a really well thought out feature. Although I do believe that if you were a true Apple fan, you would have bought the terabyte iPhone and wow. downloaded it all. Wow. Well, I mean, just saying. yeah. Mm. <laughs> I don't think I need the entire history of Byte magazine on my phone at all times. You know? I think you do, man. I think you do. <sighs> So sync works, you know, it's great. Yeah. And we've been talking about links off and on. Let me just unload on links for a minute. Do I it. think this is the killer feature of Devon Think. I mean, the ability to create a link to any file or, you know, note or anything in your Devon Think database with a single key combination or right click. I mean, that to me is just such a killer feature. And, you know, I guess we have to turn the word contextual computing into a drinking game on Mac power users because <laughs> it keeps coming up. But I, I just love the idea of being able to get from, you know, one thing to another thing without anything in the middle. And the beauty of a DevonThink database is everything is linkable. You know, if there's an email that I save, I can create a link to that DevonThink record. If there is a little note that I have 10 words in, I can create a link to that. If there is a PDF or a Word document or anything in there, I can with one click create a link to it. And that link works from anywhere else in my Mac. So like a, a common thing I do, I talked earlier about contracts that I do for clients and is I will have the, the word document in Devon think, and I'll have a link to that in a task in OmniFocus, you know, and say, Hey, go fix this contract. And the OmniFocus note has a Devon think link that I copied and pasted. I click on it. It goes straight to Devon think goes to that word file. And because the links work across to mobile, it'll work on my iPad too. So if I'm in, happened to be, yesterday I spent uh, like six hours working on my iPad. So I could click on a link and OmniFocus, it opens up DevonThink. In that case, I had to download the file because I hadn't, you know, stored it already. But once I got it in, it opened in Word on my iPad and I was off to the races. And uh, there was no intermediary stuff. I didn't have to go through the files app and find it or anything like that. And I think those links are, are killer. I did a whole section in the course on ways to use links for fun and profit. And I think that, uh, I, I think it's an underused feature that a lot of people can get a lot out of. Yeah. It's, it's a great way if you're working on a, for me, at least the way I use these links, it's great if I'm working on a project that's maybe longer term and I have sources that are across a bunch of different databases, a bunch of different places. I'll just have yeah. a text document I'll just bring those links into it and then I can come back to them. You know, if I pick it up, you know, days or even weeks later, so I don't have to go and, and find them again. Uh, you know, you could flag them or do something like that, but the links, it totally jives with my way of sort of, I'm just sort of bookmarking these for later in a temporary way. But uh, it's just a, it's a, also a great way, like you said, for longer term stuff. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a really nice, 
feature, especially as your database gets larger and larger, being able to drill down to that one item, no matter where you are in your system, again, something that Finder can't do. You know, there's not, without third-party support, there's not really a way to do that in, in the Finder, but I definitely think it's just a right-click away. Yeah, and they work internally inside the DevonThink library, so you can cross-link files inside your DevonThink database. And like someone like Kurash would do this because he does so much work in notes, but they also work externally. So I'm always embedding these links in Obsidian documents because I want to be able to get to it from Obsidian. But the flip side works too. Uh, Obsidian allows me to create a URL for every Obsidian document, and I can embed that in DevonThink. So now I'm just jumping across apps. I'm creating my super app, you know, mm-hmm. where I'm getting the dev and think power and the AI and everything from my, all these documents and files I have, and I'm getting the obsidian bells and whistles for managing the text piece of it Yeah, and everything. It feels like it's one app because all these things are cross linked. They just jump back and forth. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. And it, it makes dev and think uh, a part of a, of a bigger system, right? It's not, it's yeah. not an Island that your data's in, it's a place where your data lives, but still accessible everywhere else. Yeah. Well, I mean, people ask me sometimes, well, will you explain more about Sparky OS? Because I've mentioned that I have like my own personal operating system and the writing I do is an Obsidian, but the foundation of it is DevonThink because all the files that I reference and everything are in DevonThink. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and use drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and more with just a few clicks. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile. Your content automatically adjusts so it will look great on any device. You'll also get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. Plus, you'll have everything you need for SEO and email marketing to get your ideas out there. You can use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a new website, showcase your work with their incredible portfolio designs, publish your next blog post, promote your business, announce an upcoming event, and much more. I hear from Mac Power users, listeners all the time who are Squarespace subscribers just like me. It's just so easy to pay Squarespace a small sum and have your website just managed for you. And it's super secure. I've just been really happy ever since I moved Mac Sparky over to Squarespace. You can be too. Just head over to squarespace.com slash MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get that 10% off and show your support for the Mac Power Users. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the Mac Power Users 
and all of Relay FM. So uh, let's talk about the inspector. So we have all these files, we've organized them, but how do we look at this sort of metadata that we keep mentioning, this information sort of on top of the files? Yeah, it definitely gives you a lot of ways into metadata and file-related information. But the easiest is just to open the inspector. It's on the right side, and it's got a bunch of panes where you can do a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, elements of the inspector are just like you said, it's metadata. And it's got uh, some metadata is unmodifiable, mm-hmm. I guess, and some you can modify. And it's kind of surprising some of the stuff you can modify as you go through that inspector. But like if you want to set the you know, set the date of the document or whatever, you can do stuff like that. You can create custom metadata, which is also nice, but it's all like kind of laid out for you in the right side inspector. And I, I've got videos that go through that. Um, so whatever you want to do with your metadata, if you have any question, I would just open the inspector and, and go nuts. Yeah, it is really in depth, uh, much more so than like the get info command. It will bring in finder comments, which is cool. So if you do have those attached, you know, maybe you're yeah. using a folder and and file database now, sort of just like in in a in finder somewhere, it'll bring those in. One of my favorite things in the inspector, not necessarily because it's that useful to me, but I just love that Devin Think has it, is the uh the concordance and so i can look in the inspector and like get a word cloud of like all the words and the pdf that i have selected you know if it's gone through the ocr yeah not something su- super useful to me but it sometimes it's really cool to like look in there and then i can click into a word and see where it shows up and it is uh it's pretty neat yeah well and that's i was going to say that the other thing you do with the inspector in addition to metadata management is search and concordance is that one is one of those. And also um, see also in classify inspector and that allows you, that's where Devin think will look at whatever file you have and try and figure out where it should go for you. And it'll literally offer to move it to a group that it thinks it belongs in. And this is where, the idea of kind of segregating databases so it doesn't get confused and giving the AI the best chance possible. Um, it's a really powerful feature. And, you know, I, I've talked a lot about using Hazel and some of the Hazel-like tools in DevonThink to file documents for me, but there's an AI component to this that will just say, do best guess and say, hey, is this where this belongs? Without me applying tags and creating custom rules. And it's shockingly right often and that's also the see also in classify inspector so there's a lot to do in the inspector pane yeah yeah really inspector is kind of a bad word for it it has so many yeah. uh so many things in it um that's just like the menu bar tool i feel like the menu bar tool is almost like a separate app yeah you know and i just i'm just never seeing an app that does almost like you can record your voice you can make a video you know you can <laughs> capture your screen there's all these things you can do to capture into dev and think and it it feels like an app in fact the i think the menu bar in fact i'm certain the menu bar app only appears when you've got the app running so it's really more than just a little utility it is a component of the application mm-hmm. but yeah Hooray, inspector. Good job. Yeah. You know. I mean, it, and it's contextual. So like if you're looking at a PDF, you're going to get fields that 
makes sense with a PDF. But if you're looking at, say, a web archive, like if I if I look at all my my I mentioned I bring in the show notes and stuff, you know, it doesn't have those things that are there because of a PDF, but it has other other information that is uh, relevant to that file type. So it's it's really well done. It's something I always leave it open. You know, you can collapse it, but I never see the need to because if I'm looking at something, uh, chances are I'm going to dig into the inspector at some point. Yeah, and the the contextual nature of the application extends further. Like if you open a PDF file, there is a set of PDF tools there. Now, granted, it's not as powerful as a you know dedicated PDF application, but the basic annotation tools are there. Same thing with a photo. If you open a photo. Uh, you can annotate or modify the photo right within the app. It, you know, and I can, if you're listening to this, I can see where you think, well, oh, what a hot mess. You know, this application is trying to do too much and it's, it's, it's just going to be a crazy user interface, but they do a really good job of hiding those tools until they become relevant. Yes. And, um, and like, to be honest, I don't do PDF modification in, in Devon think, you know, I'll use my PDF app, but, if I needed to do something quick and dirty, I could, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think that's an important note that while all these things are here, because the application is so smart about what you're looking at at any given time, you're not like overwhelmed by those tools. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. I'm glad we, glad we touched on that. And, and one of my biases, honestly, is always using, I would much rather use best in class app than do it all app, you know? Um, I talk about how much I love Obsidian, but there's this whole like group of people trying to run their whole task system through Obsidian. Yeah. And I've got no interest in that because the task manager I use has a bunch of tools that Obsidian will never have, you know? And same thing with file management. You could put files in Obsidian, but it's never going to really be as powerful as DevonThink. Whereas DevonThink, I don't feel like the notes are as powerful in DevonThink as they're in Obsidian. So, you know, you can make all this stuff work together. That's why I get so excited about contextual computing, because using basic automation tools and URL links, you can really kind of erect your own, you know, super app with the tools that you want, Mm -hmm. so long as they have that support. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about the AI and automation. We touched on it a second ago about some of the stuff in the inspector, but where does this type of feature uh, come into play? Well, I mean, the AI, first of all, just finds things for you. You know, There's two primary things that I really get excited about with the AI. Is, is Number one, it finds things that I would not find with a basic search. So, you know, the computer is doing something in there. And I don't honestly understand it. <laughs> I wish I did, right? You know, but if I search for a topic it finds resources out of my database that I would not have found with a simple text search. And I'm not, I'm not sure how it's doing it, Steven. I think there is a magical hamster mm. in, in the software that now lives in my Mac. And it's, it's a, do you ever see, um, there used to be a TV show called pinky in the brain. Sure. It's like the brain's nice brother who doesn't want to take over the world, but just help me. He now lives inside my <laughs> back. I think that's how it works. So, but it works. I mean, I just, just my advice is, I think they have a free trial. Download it, try it, you know, and you'll see. Uh, automation, that is something they've really put the gas down on in the last couple of years. And so I already talked about group creation, where you can make like the essentially smart folders, which are great. Um, that inspector 
uses, oh, they have a classify tool, by the way. I'm sorry, you can select and you can right click. There's a video on this where you say, hey, where, where should this go? And it tries to figure that out. Just like you can do out of the inspector, you can do that through a right click. They've got a whole template system if you're into documents. Like um, if you want to create template notes, let's say you decide to take your Apple Notes events in DevonThink, you could create a template that says, you know, event name, event date, primary presenter, you know, subjects to be covered. And you just click a button and it opens a new note with that template text. And we haven't really talked a lot about notes in this episode, but there's a lot of cool stuff in there with notes. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like it does a great job of combining PDFs, which I find, which is something I find hard to do without, without Dev and think. But anyway, um, you, then you can make smart groups where groups files together based on criteria. And this is where your metadata comes to work. So, you know, using my earlier example, you can say, um, find all files with the tag Mac SE, which also include, you know, I don't know. What's a, what's a Mac SE thing? I, uh, John Syracuse. John. Okay. There you go. <laughs> and has the word John Syracuse. And it's going to probably find a bunch of Macworld articles yeah. or something like that. Right. Um, so, so you can like make these smart groups that, that put together, um, the uh you know it's it, it smart folders in essence but using all of the metadata from DevonThink, which is quite powerful and then the final one which ended up with multiple videos in the course is smart rules which is basically hazel inside DevonThink. you know it it has most of the hazel rules or, or hazel tools so you can like rename a file you can use the creation date you can move it to a different group, you know, all this stuff that just takes place within DevonThink, but it also goes outside of the DevonThink database too. Like I can move a file to an external folder using one of these rules. So uh, if I've got a shared Dropbox folder with a client and I want to automate sending that out to the Dropbox folder, I can, you know, it's just kind of like Hazel inside DevonThink. And they've done a good job. I mean, there are things that I think Hazel's better at, and there are things that I think Devin thinks better at. And it's just really interesting to me to see them add that kind of automation to this application. That got me really excited when they did that. That's a, that's a more recent addition. And, um, you know, it just like all this stuff came together. The app got prettier, more stable, syncs better automation. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm in. Right. Uh, there have been many times where I've needed to to do something in DevonThink. So say that I pulled a bunch of HTML files off the web. Um, this actually happened to me about three months ago. And I wanted to name the items the web page title. And I was like goofing around, you know, trying to figure out how to do it in Automator or someplace else. And then I was like, you know, Smart I bet rules. DevonThink can do this for me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and yeah. And sure enough, under the script menu, rename to web page title. And so their yeah. examples of scripts are really impressive. And you can go in and and see them. And, of course, you can uh, make your own or you can uh, download them from the community. We mentioned the community a couple of times. I think that's a huge thing uh, with DevonThink. But it is really impressive with what just comes out of the box. Uh, in terms of automation. And there were many times where a script that's already there totally does what I need it to do and saves my bacon. Yeah. It seems like if you follow the community, whenever somebody comes up with like a thorny problem, but a common problem, 
the developer writes the script for them and then they just bake it into the app too. So people going forward already have the benefit of it. Yeah, I think that's exactly, I, I think they, they, they want this stuff to be built in and they, they don't want people to have to go off and, and figure it out on their own. And that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a great app and it's overkill for some people. If the finder makes you happy and you don't feel like you need any of this stuff, don't go spend your money on dev and think, or this field guide, you're good, you know, but if you want to get some of these power tools, it is definitely worth taking a look at. Agreed. I thought I'd uh, take a minute to talk a little bit about the production workflow. Uh, I've done this a couple times over the years as I've released field guides, but this one just, there've been a lot of changes through kind of the COVID year. Um, this was the first field guide I released this year because I spent a bunch of time retooling how field guides are made. And that took some time. Yes. So what's uh, what's new? Well, what 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 was working, or or what has maybe wasn't working anymore? I I just wanted to streamline and kind of like turn the dial up on production. Well, the first thing is planning of them. I've always done planning uh, via MindNote, where I just you know make a mind map yeah. of it. This one I actually did the whole thing in an outline in Obsidian. I just wanted to see how that would work. Um, I'm not sure that that's going to be the case going forward. I actually think in hindsight, um, the visual nature of mind maps work better for me for this kind of planning stuff, but it was interesting to do it that way. And, um, there is an extensive outline for this one. I mean, you don't come up with an eight and a half hour course, just like, you know, winging it. No, <laughs> but the, um, but th- that was kind of fun to use that. Um, this time, but that, uh, the learn, the lesson out of it for me, I think was, I probably need to go back to mind maps. Um, but the production piece is where I really wanted to, to refine and make it better. And historically I've done most of the production myself, you know, I record it, I do all the edits and everything. And, um, I just decided I'm not as good at editing as other people are. So why don't I spend some money and see if I can make it better? And, uh, J.F. Brissett, he's been a guest on the show. He's a he's a dear friend of mine, you know. And so it's weird working with a close friend. It'd be like me and Steven. Well, we do work together on the show. But, I mean, it, it's kind of the same relationship yeah. where we're pals. But I hired him. And he has been just so helpful for me. And, and the thing I like about him is he doesn't hold punches back. Like he'll say, Oh, you know, the way you did that line doesn't work and we need to re-record it or something. And like having somebody give me that feedback that I know and trust, um, I think really helps the performance of it. And that is kind of an element of this, but also the way he does the edits, they look better. You know, it actually looks better than if I did it. So I was really happy with that. Um, but I, you know, I did it the normal way. I have, like, I set it up. I still use ScreenFlow. I still do rehearsals of the, of the pieces and then recording. But I brought JF in to help me a lot with the edits. And the other thing he does is he's like really smart about sound. So he was able to tweak the sound files and run them through a bunch of software and, and make them sound better. And all of that, you know, just at the end of the day, turns into a better product. Mm-hmm. And uh, it costs more. I mean, I raised prices this year, but it, it's it's worth it because I want to make something I can be really proud of. Yeah. Um, post-production, uh, same thing. Whereas I was managing the closed captioning myself. Now I've turned that over to somebody else. And um, 
this is the one of the first ones I was able to release with all the closed captioning done on day one, which was great. That's fantastic. You know, um, I'm still on the Teachable platform. I'm not moving off it. There, and there are some little problems in a while, but overall, it's a great platform. And um, and then I also kind of resumed the thing I did with the last one with Paperless, where I now have a section of the field guide where you can download. Because every every file is downloadable. I just, I'm taking a leap of faith. You know, I'm just going to trust the audience. I'm not going to, if someone pays me, I want them to be able to watch it in any format. Mm -hmm. So everything's downloadable, but the complaint was, Hey, it's like a hundred files to download here. I don't want to download a hundred files. So I would take for each section of the course and combine all the videos into one video. And that's another thing JF helped me do and made them much better this year. So at the bottom of the course, there's a section where you can download these combined videos uh, people have asked me, can I just download one file and get the whole course? And you can't because it's like nine gigabytes of videos and <laughs> and Teachable will just like barf I'm if sure. I try to ask it to do that. Almost but anything you, would, I think. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of data. Yeah. And then I'm not sure, like you put a nine gigabyte, I guess a nine gigabyte video would play on your iPad, but either way, I can't do it. It's just not possible. Then, then the other thing that we did, we followed up with Paperless is... Um, Leilani, my assistant um, and I, who were putting together these closed captioning, we combined all of the transcripts. In addition to having the, the CC on each video file, we combined them into a pages document that we then export as EPUB and PDF. So if you want to like download the whole transcript as an EPUB, you can do that too. So I just feel like, you know, we're figuring out ways to make it more accessible you know yeah. just like over the years Devin think has figured out where their customers have pain points we're, we're trying to knock those out as we get better at this no it makes it makes a ton of sense and yeah i think anything you can do to take some of that work off your plate so you can focus on the content and then on the delivery of that content you know you're actually you said performance I know exactly the right word right because people are going to be listening and watching you for a long time uh, I'm just I'm so pleased to hear about these changes, and uh, I think that I think they're totally paying off. I mean, this one is is so well produced, and I can see when watching it, you know, those parts of it that are being done by a team, and I think it's I think it's fantastic. Yeah, this is the biggest team effort that I've ever had. I've had help before. Jeff has helped me be in the past, but he's like he's now like hired. You know, it's like the next one we're already working on. Uh, it's it's going to be on um, shortcuts for the Mac, and I'm really trying to get them recorded. But there's so many bugs that I can't record a bunch of them right now. Um, but yeah, so it's like it is like a new way of business for the field guides, and and hopefully it works. I had a I had an e- a very nice email from someone saying, "Hey, that the because the price went up from twenty nine to forty nine, although." it's still at that $44 entry level. And they're like, I just like you raised it too much and I'm, I'm not going to buy them anymore. I'm like, that's okay. And it really is a, you know, kind of a business side of this is like, I can't afford to make them the way I want for 29 anymore. That's yeah. just the basic math. I would either stop making them or I'd have to raise the prices to make them right. And that's what I did. And there we are. And I guess that's another piece of it is the marketing piece um, I'm still, I, I think we talked about this the last time I did a feel good. I'm still like blowing that. I like, I'm good at getting the word out to the people who already know about me or listen to the podcast, but, um, I feel like these are valuable courses and I'm just not doing a very good job of getting out into the world and, 
I haven't figured that out yet. And I, I keep planning on it, but I don't. I think I'm going to add my wife to the team, actually. She did social media marketing for some for um, some of her friends' small companies. And, you know, Disney's not hiring back very aggressively right now. So she's still home. Um, so uh, I may actually try and get her involved with, like, I don't know, maybe. I don't know, Stephen. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with that, right? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, I get asked that about Relay sometimes. Of Like, how do you yeah. market the company? I'm like, uh, we just do podcast and hope people show up you know so i'm the wrong person to ask so i think daisy because i told daisy i don't want to give any money to facebook you know so she's i think she's going to try to do some linkedin marketing for me so we'll see how that goes i don't know but we'll figure it out but uh overall that that's a small thing i'm, I'm very happy with the support i'm getting from the community and um it is really nice when people do discover me like the people at devon think did a post on this this field guide and i just got a nice email from somebody who said i'd never heard of you but i heard about through through dev and think i really like your course i'm gonna buy a couple more and and that really makes you feel good because i i honestly um like if i went to my grave tomorrow the work that i'm most proud of is honestly these field guides in this podcast these are the things that i feel like really matter that i've done in my life so i love when when people find them and and like them yeah that's fantastic uh, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing what people do with it. You know, uh, this is definitely one that I think the forum post will be will be exciting to to follow up on. And because this tool is so flexible, you know, no two people are going to use it the same way or, or do the yeah. same things with it. And so I think it'll be fun to see how it's picked up. Yeah, and it's always a little scary doing field guides on one app because you know it's a, costs a lot of money to make it and a lot of time and. You know, like, well, how many people are actually interested in that one app? But the sales have been good. People have been enjoying this, and I've been getting great feedback. Good. So, so, uh, so check it out. That entry-level discount is for the next two days, and it's going up to the usual price on Tuesday. So uh, check it out, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, uh, Devin, think aside, both of us have got some new Apple hardware in the last few days. Yeah, it's it's that time of year. New phones. Uh, not new watches yet. You know, they're they're still coming later. But uh, I think we both have new phones. So let's let's start there. All right. So which one did you get? Uh, I did the 13 Pro Max. I ended up going Sierra Blue. Uh, you know, last time we spoke about this, I was pretty conflicted on the color. And uh, I showed my wife the pictures. And she was like, you know, you always do black or silver. You should do something fun this year. So I've got the Sierra Blue in the midnight case, which is not black uh it looks black here in my office but in daylight it's definitely got some like indigo to it and the two look really nice together yeah, um, the blue's really pretty it's definitely much lighter than the pacific blue that we had previously it's kind of baby blue's not right it's kind of carolina blue for you sports fans out there and it's definitely a color like the midnight case that is different in direct daylight than say like interior warm light, like, you know, in the evening, you know, you're reading on the couch or something with it, but I really like it. I, I was sort of on the fence even after I'd done it and it showed up and I cut it open. I was like, yes, this is, this was the right call for me. So I'm really liking the color and I did it in the 512 gigabytes. So that lets me put my entire photo library on it. I like having those downloaded. I guess I probably could put my DevonThink library on it, but uh, now I'm not going to out of, you know, uh, defiance to your suggestion. So 
Uh, <laughs> it's uh, plenty of breathing room for my files. And yeah, I'm so far so good. It's it's really nice. Yeah, I. it's funny whenever your your spouse recommends something, how it influences you. Because like I'm the same way. If Daisy, if Daisy gives me the smallest compliment on like a shirt or something, I'll start wearing it every week. Yeah, you know exactly. And uh, <laughs> and so if she said, "Hey, I think this blue phone would look nice," and I, I would probably buy it. <laughs> um, I went in. I had ordered the white Pro Max, mm-hmm. and then when we were on vacation you know, kind of getting it in and out of my pocket. Cause I, I did a speaking thing, but it's kind of a vacation too. Cause we're at Disney world. I thought, you know, they've got the same lens system now in the smaller iPhone pro. Yeah. And maybe this is the year I get the regular size one. And I'm like, so I went and looked at it on the Apple store online and it was like delivery date a month. But there was a pickup date in a couple of days and I was in Florida. I wasn't going to pick up my Macs until I got back anyway. Cause I didn't want to like do all that while I was on a trip. Oh yeah. And so I just went ahead and ordered one to be available the same time as I was picking up my pro max. And I thought, I'm just going to go and look at them both. And then when I got home, my, uh, my daughter and I had dinner together and she has, the iPhone 12 standard, you know, just, but that it's the same size as the standard size pro. And I was playing with it over dinner and carrying it around in my pocket. And she's, she's, she wants me to get the smaller one because she's eventually going to inherit that phone, you know? So she's, you know, she's got a, she definitely has a, a horse in this race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, she is not an innocent bystander in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, kind of going back to my earlier point, when your kid tells you that they think something would be good for you, it has the same effect on me, you know? Yeah. And, and anyway, so we went into the store, I held them both. And then I, I laid the, uh, the regular size on top of the, the pro max and saw how much screen I was actually losing. And it really wasn't that much screen, you know? And I just said, well, this is the year the lenses match. Like if, if the better lenses were only in the, in the pro max, cause I'm buying it as a camera almost more than anything else. I would get, I will always get the one that has the best cameras, but this year they both have the good cameras. So I'm like, you know what? This is the year. So I just, I bought it on a whim. I, I canceled my pro max order and left with the white iPhone 13 pro without the max. And, uh, I, you know what? I've only had it now 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But it's all set up. I did that thing where you set up now device to device, which is uh, I just did it overnight. That that is really the way to go. It is. It is totally the way to go. All the apps stay logged in. That's how I did mine. And my old phone, you know, it was like it has been transplanted directly into my new phone. Yeah. And they even offers to delete your old phone when you're done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The whole setup process has gotten so much better on iOS. It, it really is. Uh, it really is easy to do this. I definitely recommend doing it overnight because it takes a long time. But it's it's pretty sweet. Yeah, and you know what? The new phone feels great. I mean, it just. I'm not as passionate about it as some people are. Like I know some people who own the non Mac size who hate the big phone and they call it gigantic and everything. Yeah, I didn't feel like it was gigantic you know and then i know people who use the mac size who say i can't use that smaller one that's the screen is too small blah 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 you know what they're about the same to me honestly i don't feel that different about it and um i'm gonna use it for a year and maybe i'll feel differently at the end Mm -hmm. but it's it's fine 
And, and it's got those cool cameras, which I love. I was out this morning in the garden taking pictures. I was doing cinematic mode of the dog. And I am like so down with this phone, with this camera. It's really good. The macro mode is a lot of fun. Uh, that is something that's only on the, um, well, it's on both because it's only on the pros because both have the wide angle, but only the pros have the autofocus in the wide angle. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you're putting your phone way closer to anything you've ever taken a picture with an iPhone with. Yeah. And it, it is, it's a lot of fun. And I really like that both of the regular 13s and then both of the 13 pros, they have the same camera stuff that's been not the case uh you know usually it's the big phone has some new technology and then they bring it down to the rest of them and you know now you can get a 13 mini with the sensor shift stabilization that was available only in the pro max last year like i don't know how they got that thing to fit but congratulations yeah. to whoever figured that out yeah uh, but yeah i'm curious what you think you know one reason and one thing that i i i would love to hear about as it unfolds is you know, the, the Pro Max does have the best battery life, but yeah. this year they all got such a boost that, you know, the move you made this year, that may come out in the wash. You may not notice any downgrade in battery life because they all got better. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and the new Pro Max has like crazy battery life. Yes. And that that was a reason I was thinking about, well, maybe I should just get the Pro Max, but I don't know. I was just in the moment with my daughter. I'm like, Screw it. I'm going to get this. I'm going to small one. And yeah. uh, I, I think you're right. I think it is going to kind of come out in the wash. I do want to try out the camera more thoroughly. I actually have a reservation for Disneyland tomorrow. I'm just going to go in for three or four hours and shoot a bunch of video with the camera and, and some shots. And I'm going to turn it into a YouTube video for the Max Sparky YouTube channel, not the Disneyland Field Guide channel. It's just going to be about the camera, how it works. So by the time the show publishes... I'm now going to say it, so I have to do it. There'll be a video up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's going to be killer. Uh, w- one thing that uh, about the battery life that's really impressed me is, you know, I got it, I guess, Friday. And I set it up, and then I used it all day Saturday. So kids' birthday party outside, kids' soccer game outside, went to the college football game, which is usually pretty brutal on a phone battery because, you know, cell service isn't great. And, it, you know, usually with the iPhone, that makes it the battery work harder and you, you lose battery life. But I got home and it was still, you know, 60 something percent. Probably I didn't charge it overnight and I used it most of the day the next day before I got yeah. to, to low battery. And that's a heavy day, you know, taking video at the birthday party. My, my youngest turned seven and uh taking pictures of the game, you know, all this stuff. And I was just like, I just can't kill it. It's, it's really, (laughs) uh, it's really amazing. And so I think that, especially if you're coming from, uh, you know, a 10 or a 10 S or something, this battery life is really going to blow you away. I mean, it it impressed me and I upgrade year over year. I think most people are going to be really have their socks blown off by the battery life. Yeah, and my wife is getting my 12, and she's coming from a 10, so she cannot wait. And, um, in fact, when we were on our little trip, she was she kind of took possession of my phone because she was taking all the pictures with it. Did you get a case for yours, too? Yeah, I've got the the Midnight, uh, the leather case. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You said that. Yeah, yeah, leather case. You know, I looked at the leather cases, and I just didn't see any that really jumped out at me for a white phone. 
I don't care. I think Wisteria is the one they want you to get for it, but the the dark blue, the dark green, they, they just didn't seem like the right case for me. I think I'm going to get a rubber one for the first time, a silicone case. I've never bought a silicone case for my iPhone from Apple, but they have a light blue one that I think would look nice, but they didn't have it in stock last night, so I'll have to figure that out. Yeah, all the, the colors this year, like none of them really strike me on the leather like they're all just sort of in a palette that i don't really uh don't really care for but i don't like the silicon cases i prefer the leather so the midnight was as close to black as i could get and like i said a little bit of blue and it looks really nice with the blue phone yeah i i've never used a silicon one i'm curious to see if it gets like does that like slow it down getting out of your pocket and whatnot <laughs> it's gonna be but, grippy uh, in there yeah uh but you yeah. know my wife's different she got the 13 mini and starlight she got one of the pink cases and she loves the silicon cases you know so i think most people probably prefer the silicon just like just what i know about like people in my life that's where people yeah. tend towards they're also cheaper so maybe that has something to do with it but um the clear case definitely not for me uh did i tell you this i have a clear case for this phone that i didn't order it just showed up i'm not sure yeah yeah, did. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened. Uh, I think someone with my address is trolling me because I've been very yeah. vocal that this is an ugly case. But at least with the with the silver phone, the white you know magnet ring in the back sort of hides. Yeah. But when the blue phone is like, "Hello, I'm magnets. Pay all your attention yes. to me." Yeah, I know. I hate that. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, and, it, and but you know, the MagSafe. I'm all in with MagSafe. Uh, it's not an option for me to get a third party case at this point because. I like the MagSafe stuff, you know, I like the charger and the battery and all that. Oh, I yeah. want to be able to use it with the case on. So Apple has locked me in now on cases. What about iPad? Didn't you get one of those too? Uh, I did. I did also get an iPad. Uh, the, so the iPad mini is awesome. It, yeah. It's, uh, it's really, it's so different than the old iPad mini. I mean, just the new design is so nice on the small size. It's also the first iPad in a long time that I've had that like, I want to use it in portrait mode because I can thumb type on it. Uh, probably yeah. not everybody can, but I certainly can. And it's, um, it's great. It's super fast. I, I ended up moving from my iPad pro back up to it. But then I drastically rearranged the home screen to like make this basically a reading and sort of content iPad. But it's, I really like the little guy so far. Uh, the size is great. The speakers sound really good. It's weird that the volume buttons are on the top. That takes some getting used to. But, you know, the Touch ID is fast. It makes me wish we had Touch ID in the phone this year on the side, <laughs> especially since currently as we speak, hopefully it's fixed by the time the show comes out. Uh, mask or like the face unlock when you're wearing a mask is broken on the iPhone 13 and the Apple watch. Yeah. So, you know, you haven't used my pin code everywhere if I go out, but uh, anyways, yes, the iPad mini two thumbs up for me. It's great. All right. So remember when I told you I was in Florida and I said, well, since you have the small iPhone available at the same time, I was going to pick up my big iPhone. I can just order one and then choose. Well, mm -hmm. I also ended up walking out of there with a, gray ipad mini <laughs> perfect yes the color yeah. i did yeah I, uh, well, i'm i'm in the process of selling my other ones i don't feel that bad about it. And the, the other one is kind of ancient relatively speaking but yeah everything you said i agree with it's it's great i'm gonna find more ways to use it than i did the old one and 
Uh, I love that the pencil works with it. It really feels great, like sitting here writing on it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I just think it's it's awesome. We, we had a thing going on on the Focus podcast where we had a guest talking about the um, one of these writing tablets, these e-ink writing tablets. Um, the Remarkable 2 is the one that the guest was talking about, and Mike Schmitz is getting all excited about it. And I feel like those Remarkable tablets are so expensive I think I just really like the iPads. So now I have two. Is the lack of a external keyboard been a problem for you? It's not for me. No, I mean, even with my regular iPad, I do a, I I don't have it a keyboard attached to it at all times, you know. Um yesterday I was traveling, so I went to the airport and then got stuck there for a while, then I was on a, a plane from Florida to California. And I answered a bunch of email and did a whole bunch of work on it. And I, I use the keyboard for that. But just sitting around working on the iPad, I find the the Siri dictation, the pencil input, even the thumb typing to be fine. Yeah. I did do the case with it. So I have the the gray iPad mini, which is actually a really dark color. I think it looks really nice. It kind of reminds me of the old slate that color yeah. Apple used to do that they've yeah. since gotten rid of. But uh using that with the I did the bright orange cover and it's it's pretty fun. I mean it's like hunter safety orange. It's really bright, but I kind of like it in conjunction with the black. I have that same one in my car. Yes! I haven't bought it yet. That's awesome. We're gonna be twinsies. We're gonna be twinsies. That's great. Yeah, I thought that would be a good combination though. Mm-hmm. What I didn't mention, going back to the phone real quick, I didn't mention the new display scrolling. That was immediately apparent to me. I don't know. I think that either some people love it or hate it down. Now, I know you're not a fan of the high refresh rate. Mm-mm. How has that um, affected you? Did you turn it off? Oh, yeah. It lasted about three minutes. Uh, it just really makes me not feel good. I really, It's hard to put my, my, my finger to the feeling. It's not nausea, but it's not not nausea. I don't know what it is. But, uh, yeah, I've turned it off, and uh, so I don't get the, the super smooth scrolling, but that's totally fine with me. Uh, but I know people I've talked to, like when I've shown the phone to people, I've turned it on for them to see. And everyone's like, oh, this looks awesome. It's like, yeah, a lot of people really like that. And uh, I'm glad Apple has jumped on that because it, it's been a feature of some you know Android flagships for a long time. And so Apple's being competitive there, which is good. Well, I was, I was thinking about you. I was reading that if you do turn it off, all that does is cap it at 60, but you still get the advantage of the slower refresh rates when relevant. Yes, so I'm thinking your battery life probably just goes through the roof at that point because you never are doing the high refresh. Yeah, there were some questions as to like, did it lock it at 60 or did it cap it? The language in the in the setting says cap it, but um, I'll put a, a, a link to some, something on Twitter. I was talking to some people about this and it seems like it does. Um, it does just cap it at the 60 so yeah, I mean maybe that's one reason I'm getting you know close to two days on this thing. It's crazy. Well, anyway, I'm I'm happy with my purchases, and uh, you know, I'm always going to get the new iPhone. And then Daisy's excited about upgrading her phone. So we're all good here, and good. Uh, another good year of Apple products. These yeah. cameras, though, I mean it's it is like comical how much bigger these lenses are compared to even just last year's iPhone. Oh yeah, it's it's massive. I mean, especially on my wife's mini, it's like it's more than just a camera bump, right? It's more than just like in the corner. It's like the whole like 
chunk of the top of the phone. I kind of think their industrial design is going to need to change to better adapt these. Like it still feels pretty stuck on to me, especially on the smaller phones. Uh, so we'll we'll just have to see how that goes, I guess. And you know, the cinematic mode, I, I know kind of the the general take on it from you know proper videographers is that it's a gimmick and that you know you mm-hmm. need a real camera to do that. But for an amateur user like me, even the Disneyland field guides, I am definitely going to try and make this work. And even if it means that I'm just going to have to do 1080 videos instead of 4K videos, if it means that I can take good stable footage with a little bit of a blurry background on occasion, I, I think it's probably going to be a trade-off I'm willing to make. I think so. And, and you know, next year, I bet it's better than 1080. <laughs> you know, I think this is... Yeah. This is the first year of this, and I think even weirdness with like how it works or looks will will just improve with time. Uh, I haven't shot much with the cinematic mode, but in just like testing, like running around with the kids and stuff, it does look nice. I think it looks best if you dial the effect down so it's not yes. maximum blurry in the back, but just like a touch more than what the lens does naturally. I think it looks pretty good, and you know, I'm very curious to see how it goes for you. I really want to. Uh, talk about that next time because I think that you'll really put it through its paces at Disney. Yeah, and I think that um, in general, that's always the case with this stuff. But but I do think the very first version of cinematic mode is better than the very first version of portrait mode. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, early portrait mode pictures. Like if you go back and look at them, it's some of them are pretty janky. Yeah, but you know, it's a journey. It is. Well, either way, good on Apple. Great hardware, and um, go check out the Dev and Think Field Guide, gang. You can. Learn more at learn.maxsparky.com. We're the Mac Power Users. You can find us at uh, relay.fm slash MPU. You can find those forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. What's going on over at 512 Pixels, Stephen? You know, I've still been working on my 2001 Revisited. And so last week I did uh, Mac OS 10.1. And spoiler alert, coming up in October we have the 20th anniversary of the iPod. So uh, looking forward to that. And now that the St. Jude stuff is over, I got a couple YouTube videos in the works as well. So hopefully I'll be back on the video front here real soon. Man, iPod, that's what's, it's partly what saved Apple, honestly. I can't wait to see what you write about that. Um, Either way, uh, check it out. Thank you to our sponsors, our friends at Smile, Same Box, and Squarespace. We'll see you next time.